0: We already touched upon um, a number of issues that I'm going to address in this um, second um, talk. Um, it's about equivalence and the dependent variable problem. Um, I think, and we discussed that in our in our previous discussion already, um, the issue of equivalence. Um, most comparative welfare analysis, as we have been discussing, is based on comparing countries. But to what extent is this approach meaningful? Based on the principle of equivalence, is it useful to select European nation states and compare them to the U.S. or should we compare the EU to the U.S.? I, and I think it's really important. And um, I've been on a was on a panel with Theda um, Scotchpole in Denmark some time ago, and um, I was comparing Germany, not a small country, one would think, eighty million people. Uh, with the U.S. arguing that they, you know they were becoming quite similar, and she said, "No, no, no, you can't do that. Uh, first of all, no country can become similar to the U.S. because the U.S. is a bad, you know, it's um, is a um, you know liberal welfare state, and Germany really differs. But what you really have to think about is, um, you know, that the U.S. is so diverse um, that it is basically not useful to compare them to compare the U.S. to." Um, European nation state in terms of welfare state I thought that was very interesting as her analysis her work herself her own work was at some point really into comparing different countries um, so if we treat the EU, EU as a single unit poverty would be as high as in the US and diversity within the EU would be more or less would more or less resemble that of the US so this is really goes down to address the question that we already have been discussing. In our, excuse me, in our previous discussion about how, what is comparable, what is the unit of analysis, and in a um, edited volume, uh, volume Jens Albert and Neil Gilbert. Um, argue that you know it's the, the title of that book is united in diversity and they argue that um, or m- many um contributions to that book argue that one should not really be looking comparing nation states but um you know either subnational levels in the us or look at the eu but on the other hand if we take the eu uh, the eu usually doesn't have the authority or in most areas doesn't have the authority of a nation state um, Concepts, equivalence of concepts have identical or similar meanings to different countries. For example, in the EU, we use various relative poverty measures, right? Usually, very often, it's 50 or 60% of the equalized median income. Whereas in the United States, we have an absolute poverty threshold, which is substantially lower than the EU measure. And, you know, 50% or 60% of the median, um, you know, there's a different understanding of what constitutes poverty, now I think it's really interesting if within the European Union, um, if you think back to the uh, 19, early 1990s, um, you know, the 50% median income was the threshold most often used. Now we tend to use the 60% and we call it at risk of poverty but that is the kind of the most common use. So over time, there's also a different shift of what poverty constitutes. And one could perhaps argue that we have become more generous in Europe um, with using the 60% of median income as the threshold. Functional equivalence, and we have talked about that already previously, um, and uh, with um, here I want to highlight trade protectionism may perform a very similar function as welfare states. And um, the example I give here is Japan, where the welfare state is quite lean. But if you go back and look at the rationale for the um, common agricultural policy in the European Union, it was basically a social policy issue that they wanted to achieve. The issue was to raise income of farmers to the level of industrial workers. That's why they introduced the common agricultural policy. Um, So, again, the issue of functional equivalence um, that we have to look at. And also, in the more specific, and I'm not so sure whether you can actually read all this stuff, uh, but we're going to put it on the website at the end of the workshop, Um, the question of um, unemployment insurance. So even if you look at unemployment insurance, um, you know, in some countries it might be quite low or lean and mean, but you might be entitled to a redundancy payment, which is regulated by the state for the company that was your previous employer to provide you with a redundancy payment. So we should take that into account. So it's, it's not even that you really, as I mentioned earlier, if you move into cultural different cultural settings, but even in very similar kind of environments, there might be different programs. And for the long-term unemployed, I think this is a real issue that for some countries that have used early retirement uh, programs for a while, for example, France, Austria, other countries have used their disability programs for long-term um, unemployed. If you look at the Netherlands, but some people in um, the United Kingdom would also argue that in Britain we have, we use certain kind of disability programs for our, or have used them for our long-term unemployed. Um, so I think again, here is the question of um, how do we, how can we address that? So if the measure is for you to be unemployed, um, you have to be actively searching for work, for employment, right? That is one of the criteria to be unemployed. Now, if you're on disability benefits, you probably will not do that. Or certain kind of disability benefits or early retirement, you will not do that. Or in some countries, if you are on um, you know, early retirement above the age of 58, you're immediately um, excluded from the unemployment register. Um, so how do you deal with that, whereas you as a social policy or as an analyst say, well, indeed, this person is unemployed, but this person does not show up in any of those statistics. right? So, which means then, then um, should we really only be looking at unemployment statistics, or should we move to um, complement these statistics, for example, by looking at certain kind of employment statistics? So, if you look at all the workers, is the unemployment statistic really, you know, which might show, let's say, 5%, quite low unemployment, but then if you see that all the workers, workers above the age of 60, have an employment rate in one country of 30%, in the other country of... Sixty percent. You see, there's a huge difference, right? So, of one could argue hiding unemployment. So, what is the right? Um, you know, how can we account for these functional equivalents? Obviously, there's also the issue of linguistic equivalence, and many of you probably have seen the movie Lost in Translation, uh, which I think is quite good. And um, but in welfare state analysis we also have these linguistic problems. So when in England we speak of welfare, we don't necessarily have a negative connotation to that. In America, when we speak about welfare, it usually is (coughs) welfare. It's bad, Um, um, which is one of these issues. But on an empirical level, Work that Peter Talagubi has done on different concepts of justice. So, what is justice? What is equality? And he has this study where he can show that um, in surveys, Germans and I'm not so sure British people have similar attitudes to social policy, according to these surveys. And what they then did is conducted focus group. Interviews and focus groups, and what they found was that there was a totally quite a different understanding of what you know was meant by equality and justice. And so, how do we deal with these issues? Usually, if we look at survey research, we don't deal with them, Um, but again, just something to think about. Then, um, an issue which we are very often confronted with is the dependent variable problem, and there's a nice book by um, um, my friend and um, colleague Jochen Klassen and um, Nico Siegel on that um, some years ago, and I just want to you know throw out some issues. What you know? What can we analyze? We could analyze the discourse of welfare state, you know, between countries. We can analyze institutions we could analyze outcomes, so all differences but you know it's uh, it, depending on what we analyze we have you know might have very different results in terms of you know um, let's say retrenchment so we might have a retrenchment discourse and depending on if you analyze that you know the welfare state has you know has been to some extent people would argue you know if you think about the work of Klaus-Off and others, the welfare state has been in continuous crisis since, I think, the early 1970s, and it should have gone by now, right? Um, then we have people who, you know, look at institutions say, no, 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 we still have this, you know, pension authority. And, you know, if we look at spending, some people will say, we have not seen any change. Now, um, to put that in a more kind of um, systematic perspective, perhaps, we can look at, you know, the policy cycle as... Kingdom has developed it and look at the various elements of comparison. Um, You know, we can compare at the evaluation level. We can compare, you know, are the problems really the same in, you know, various countries? Do we have similar kind of policy approaches, frameworks? So we could construct um, comparative analysis on different elements of this policy cycle. Now, but what I really want to get into is um, kind of using some of these um, kind of indicators and show you how um, one can deal or how we, whether they're useful or not in comparison. So if we take welfare state expenditure, with, which at least for political scientists for a long time has been the gold standard and is still used, um, it's still used by, um, you know, friends of mine like David Brady at Duke University, who has this book on rich democracies, poor people, and he measures welfare state generosity through spending. And um, here it is, OECD expenditure, and as I promised earlier, France is the highest spender in 2007. According to this data, what one could argue is that to some extent we see, and it becomes quite obvious, um, we see a Swedenization, right? An upward convergence, one could argue. Um, We are becoming similar to Sweden or now uh, moving up to France. Um, At least based on this data, with the exception of perhaps two countries, that is Finland and Sweden. We don't, you know, almost see no retrenchment. We see um, liberal countries or countries like Japan, interestingly, is the um, the kind of brownish yellow at the bottom, right? The lowest spender in 1980. Gosh, they expanded their welfare state. Is that true? If you speak to Japanese colleagues, they say, well, you know, no, Japan has become much more American, kind of, everything is liberalized, right? Others then say, you know, oh no, there has been this expansion family policy. But that probably does not account for that. What accounts for this huge increase is, and if you look at the data, you know, the huge increase is after 1990, right? It's the slow economic growth. It's the economic crisis, and that's also what happened in Finland and Sweden. First, the economic crisis jacked up expenditure, as it should. Then, it dropped again. Nevertheless, this data is still used. Um, some people have argued that it should be controlled for by, you know, economic growth, unemployment, like um, Jonas Ponteson has. But most of people use this as their dependent variable um, for welfare state generosity and comparing welfare states. So, but based on this, we could argue they become more similar, and it's an upward convergence, Swedenization. Now, others say, well, let's look at net social expenditure, right, which also takes into account tax reliefs. And here, what we can see is, if you look at the United States, it's just for, um, it looks at gross public expenditure and net social expenditure. So. Uh, for example, if you look at the United Kingdom, gross public expenditure, quite low, yeah, what we would expect, a bit higher than the United States, higher than Japan. If you look at the net expenditure, it's higher than Denmark. Hmm. Why is this the case? Because these net expenditures also include tax relief for, for example, various issues, such as pensions, perhaps. And some people would say they are not even fully accounting for that. Um, but pensions are uh, paid to occupational pensions, with tax relief, are paid to the middle and upper income classes. So is that really social policy? But it's a we can you know see that as an expenditure. Um, you can do that over time, and what you see is that if you look at that social expenditure over time from the 19. 19- early 1990s to the early 2000s, we can see in Denmark it declines a bit, in Sweden it's more, less uh, stable, and in the UK it increases. So again, using a different measure, you get a different picture. Then we could look at welfare state generosity, um, an issue that uh, we will, or a data set that we, will, we are using in our other work as well. Um, this is based on the Scrux data set. So if you see Germany, there's, based on Squirk's data and overall welfare state generosity, there is almost no change. I mean, a bit of a, you know, if you might want to say retrenchment in the late um, 1990s. Now, in this case, if you look at Japan, right, here, according to this data set, set welfare state generosity, Squirks data, we see an expansion in the 1970s and 80s and stability in the 1990s. Because this data set, the way they measure generosity is based on the statutory entitlements. So it's basically a capturing or kind of um, numerical expression of um, the decommodification measure that Esping Anderson has used over time, and Scruggs replicated that. And I think it really neatly shows <coughs> that you know, we do have, have a dependent variable problem. What are we measuring? And I think the Japan case really shows it, drives it home. Here, a clear expansion in the 1970s. Health care, it's not healthcare care because the, the level of generosity <coughs> only includes pensions, unemployment insurance, and sickness transfer benefits. So, again, what are we measuring? Now, at the outcome level, we could measure at risk of poverty after social (coughs) transfers in percent. And um, here, it is interesting what we see is that uh, we don't see a Swedenization, but we see a reverse Swedenization, perhaps. So here we have Denmark, these dots at 10%, going up to whatever it is, 13 or 14%. Sweden, the pinkish line, also going up, Uh, The blue line, Germany racing up. Um, So contrary to what our data would show in terms of welfare state expenditure that we see an upward convergence. here one could say, at least looking at the outcome, and if we would choose the at-risk-of-poverty rate, and I'm not saying we should, but if we use that, one could argue to some extent if we look at these countries, to some extent we see a race to the bottom because we have more poor people. Although those at the bottom, if we you know look at Greece here, um, it's a flat line, what is interesting is also if you look at the United Kingdom, which is this greenish line, um, this line here, um, you know flat well flat, flat, and comes the economic <coughs> crisis, it goes down right Why does it go down? Is it because of um, social transfers have not have not been cut yet? Is it because of um, income, top income earners? Um, you know, there's some change because we basically measure inequality, inequality, income inequality with this relative measure. Again, a different, what I'm... Again, it's not a clear picture that I want to present here, but just something for you to think about if we used an outcome measure, in this case, um, at risk of poverty rate, we would have a different, could draw a different conclusion to if we used expenditure. Now, what is the actual aim of the project that is in the background of all this that we are will be talking about in the next two weeks? It is about comparing welfare regimes, okay. right? And the basic idea, or the idea that was behind it, was this work by Goodin, um, uh, with the title "The Real World of uh, the Real World of Welfare Capitalism," and um, dynamic analysis at the micro level, using panel data, and um, you know to, to take that and um, the work of. Goodin has this stability bias, right? Because they assume that the U.S. is always the U.S. Their Scandinavian country is, by the way, the Netherlands, and the conservative country is Germany. But they assume that there is macro-level stability over time. And then they look at panel data. And what we had in mind here when we started out <coughs> with being totally naive about what we are doing um, to integrate macro and micro in a dynamic way over time. And um, the countries that we have selected, first of all, we look at all OECD countries at the macro level. And for that, um, we have updated um, certain data sets. But in terms of the micro level, we um, only focus on Britain, Germany, and hopefully we have not done included that in our analysis, Japan and the U.S., These, um, our um, selection, really um, very different welfare regimes, political economies. Um, One could argue that from a varieties of capitalism kind of perspective, we have two coordinated market economies, that is Germany and Japan, and two liberal economies, Britain and the US. Or, from a welfare state perspective, we have two liberal welfare states, Britain and the US, a conservative welfare state, Germany, and... um, as some would argue, an East Asian welfare state. Um, what we find in all these countries is if we look at the institutional analysis and country case studies, gosh, supposedly, you know, these, all these countries have revolutionized their social policies, right? We see significant family and unemployment policy changes since the late 1990s. Um, you know, as has been highlighted, for example, for Japan, by Ito Peng, um, by Jane Lewis and Campbell for uh, the UK. So these are our countries. Um, What are um, our research question objectives? To what extent do policy and welfare regimes change over time? And here we look at the 18 countries and have an in-depth analysis of four countries during the past two decades. We have so far completed this at the macro level. We have updated the GRUX and the GOTY dataset, hence um, up to 2008. Um, That's why we are also quite confident of um, understanding to some extent at least the complexities of and the problems with these datasets in terms of what they show. And um, we have um, conducted an in-depth policy analysis uh, for the four countries. Um, that we are looking in greater detail. And um, the stuff that, that we are um, really engaged in now um, in the last couple of months is um, look at the micro level. And here, so far, we have looked at Germany and the UK using the German socioeconomic panel and the British household panel. And uh, The question is here, you know, do people um, react or act in ways consistent with the assumptions of welfare regime theory and varieties of capitalism? Some of the preliminary research that we will present in the next two days shows that although we are very often assuming that Britain and Germany might be very different, perhaps they are not that different um, as we would expect if one really looked at the panel data. So what we're really trying to do here is to unpack the complexity of macro and micro and to integrate it. And um, as, as I highlighted, the, 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 the really a lot of work went into um, just updating these databases and getting the information uh, from various countries and putting it into a database. We will make that available at the end of the project as well. By answering these questions, we hope to contribute to welfare regime theory, (coughs) yeah, and to provide a better understanding of the interaction between the micro and macro level. What we are not saying is that we have a real, true understanding of how to conduct comparative research but what we do know is that focusing on the macro level itself is not sufficient for our analysis, while at the same time, looking only at the micro level misses um, a lot of things. And this relates to the issue of that I've highlighted in terms of the dependent variable problem. Okay, do we look at outcomes? What kind of outcomes do we look at? Um, Do do we look at institutional arrangements? And here today, I only mentioned kind of these two kind of um, issues of, you know, using welfare state spending or the um, generosity index. But, you know, if you one looked at um, regulation and here, especially in Southeast Asia, there has been this argument that, you know, these are regulatory welfare states. Um, so you will not find anything in terms or not that much in terms of spending because it's regulated and not, term, not that much in terms of generosity because it's not the state that provides it and there's, you know, statutory, not the really statutory rights, but it's the state that regulates companies to provide. Um, so, again, I think what we try to do is and what I try to do in this very short presentation and perhaps we can go on, and discussing kind of the issues of um, equivalence, which we have already st- which we already started to discuss before the break, and the issue of the dependent variable pro- problem, and which is not only the case for welfare state research, but for many other researchers, I think, it is very often that we are not clearly aware of what are we actually measuring. And with this argument of looking at welfare state expenditure showing a clear tendency of, you know, Growth, And if you look at Pearson and some of these people would say, well, you know, we can't see any retrenchment because countries are still spending a lot of money and they, we don't see a decline. Um, on the other hand, and then, you know, you have um, analysis, comparative analysis, looking at the generosity index and also saying, well, there's not much big change. No, not big change. And um, also, you know, for some extent, to some extent, no um, contraction, no retrenchment. So what are all these people that look at single welfare states? What are they talking about? Is it just their imagination? Is it a dependent variable problem? Um, and here, I think it was really helpful to look at the micro-level and integrate that and integrate micro-level outcomes with these macro-analysis. Thank you.